Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick. I'm going to awkwardly look at the uh, camera up there. We're recording some video today. As usual, it's still a little bit weird for me to be on video and talking on audio. So sorry for all you all watching. You have to, to look at this. But anyhow, let's move into our topic today. We have a special guest with us. We have Captain Megan Powell joining us today on the podcast. And we are in part two of the MCHD Case of the Quarter series. And this is one from several months back. February. February. That, to be honest, is one of the most interesting cases, probably my most interesting case of the year, I would say. I walked into the office and got handed the uh, rhythm strip on this one and about <laughs> fell over. Probably mine of my career so far. Pretty, And we'll have the link in the show notes, but it was so interesting. We uh, published this one as a case report in uh, Journal of Pre-Hospital Emergency Care. So this one is a, is a cool one, but I don't want to give away all the details. I want Megan to really take the lead here because she really did an excellent job on this case in about 27 different ways. There's a lot of learning points beyond just the pathophysiology of the case. So again, don't give away the details. How'd the call come out and what did you find on scene? So we were dispatched to a 47-year-old female. Uh, the note said COVID patient who had a syncopal episode. Whenever we walked in, she was sitting on her bed no obvious distress. She was just repeating, I'm fine, I'm fine. She was angry that her husband even called 911 um, for us to come out there and check her out. Um, so I was like, well, let's just check you out and we'll talk and kind of go from there. And she agreed to let us take her vitals, um, put on a three lead. And while my partner was doing that, I um, started talking to the husband and asked kind of what happened prior to us getting there. So the husband said she had on her at-home pole socks um, I think she was started to feel short of breath, is what he said, and it started to read um, in the 80s. And then when I was reading in the 80s, she started shaking um, and then just went unconscious and responsive for about 30 seconds, he reported. And she woke up. He didn't really describe that she was post-sictal, like she wasn't confused, repetitive, answering, questioning. Um, he just said that she was like, do not call 911. I'm fine. I'm going to interrupt you there. So you had basically syncope. Right. Was, was, your, was your call out. Yes. Now there was the specter of COVID hanging over everything, which has been hanging over us now for 18 months or so. Thank science for vaccinations. And we're starting to come out from underneath it here in Montgomery County. As you can see, we're, we're not masked because we're vaccinated. But at that point, you and you started to allude to it, you have to make your differential when you have a, a ultra mental status, loss of consciousness type patient. And you obviously were asking, thinking about postictal state, thinking about seizure, if right. I'm reason, reading your mind, what other things were on your list? So I kind of went back to episode three of our MCHD paramedic podcast, which is um, syncope, and it kind of walks you through the craps mnemonic, right? So cardiac structure, abnormalities, right, ruptures. So with her history, she only had a history of breast cancer, which was a few years ago. She's not under any kind of treatment. It doesn't or anything. Um, so no other history other than that. So kind of ruling out uh, AAA. Um, I don't think she was at risk. She had recently had her period, so ectop ectopic pregnancy for other ruptures, right? 
Uh, we know syncope is an arrhythmia until proven otherwise. So that was in my head. I thought for sure she was having a PE um, because when we put her on the three lead, she was in a perfect sinus rhythm. Obviously, she could have had a run of an arrhythmia that we didn't catch prior to our arrival. But um, with how she was presenting, shortness of breath, I was like, oh, she's totally having a PE, right? COVID, thromboembolic, yeah, I was say, yeah, yeah. COVID. hypoxia, mm -hmm. PE would be definitely on my list. Uh, cardiac structure, probably didn't hear a murmur on exam. Right. Ruptured ectopic, got that. You know, old enough, I mean, not too old for that if she's still menstruating. So ectopic's always a good thought. Hey, do you have belly pain? No. Right. Probably checks that one off the list. And um, then subarachnoid hemorrhage. Do uh, you have a headache or and did a neuro exam? Everything checked out okay. So you were on PE, but what did you do? So she's relatively resistant, back mm -hmm. to her baseline, doesn't want to go to the hospital. So how did you talk her through the next steps? So, w I, like I said, we were like, let us just check you out and we'll talk from there, um, see what we have, what we find, and then we'll talk about our options and going to the hospital. Um, so, her blood pressure is about 110 over 60. Her heart rate was 80. She's sitting at 95% room air. She's not in any distress. Um, the three lead shows a sinus rhythm. So, I was like, well, let me... I was kind of explaining to her how we do the 12 lead. You know, we're going to come underneath your left breast, put some more stickers on you so we can take a better look at your heart. And um, she was like, no, like, I don't want to do that. We're not doing that. Um, and I was like, we really need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and she's, at this point, squarely a difficult refusal. Yeah, oh, absolutely. H high risk. COVID. They had a SAT monitor at home, mm -hmm. had some documented hypoxemia and a sinkable episode. Mm -hmm. So all these things make her high risk. So, I mean, you definitely had to try and do some convincing. So first things first, you tried to collect objective data. So you got your three lead, mm -hmm. you got your vital signs. That That's, to me, that's the most important part to start with because that gives you objective things you can tell the patient that you see. Right. And you were going for the 12 lead and right. she wouldn't let you do that. She wasn't letting us do that. So who did you turn to next? So her husband's in the room and the husband gets frequent EKGs done all the time is what he said. Um, for part of his exams and he was like oh they're super easy it's super quick they just put some stickers on you just let them do it um, and she was still adamant you know about not doing that and I was like okay well my other concern if you don't let us do this is that you are having a PE and you know oftentimes there aren't warning signs for that right and this could be our warning sign like we need to go to the hospital right now um, and then at that point she started kind of getting a little bit anxious and I was like your kids are out there because when we walked to the front door her kids were there they were upset, crying, understandably, right? There's an ambulance showing up at the house. They don't know what's going on with their mom. And I was like, you need to go to the hospital because if we come back here and leave you here, you're going to be, you're not going to be alive. You're going to be dead. We're going to be doing CPR. Your kids are going to have to see that. You're probably not going to survive that. And you don't want to put this through your family. And so I was like, look at your husband and tell him you're okay if you stay at home. And if something, if you go to that, you're okay with dying here essentially, right? I'm, I'm not, and I was like, I'm not trying to scare you, but these are very real risks and possibilities that I have to explain to you if you want to stay here. I was like, your your husband could drive you if you would like. And then at that point, I'm giving the husband um, instructions, like if this happens again, you need to pull over and call 911. And I'm going through so many options. Um, she starts getting really flustered at this point, like really anxious. And I was like, I understand what I'm saying you know, it's probably freaking you out. Am I upsetting you or are you starting to feel worse? Because she went pale as well. And she starts kind of like breathing faster and just getting really anxious, not speaking. And then she starts what I thought was convulsing. 
And the husband's like, this is exactly what happened last time. So I instruct my partner. I was like, hey, run to the truck, get the said. I look down at the monitor. She's like convulsing and snoring. Complete flatline. C- complete flatline. She is in asystole. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, all the leads are on. I um, throw the pads on her chest. I start trying to pull her off the bed to start positioning for CPR, right? Because I, I just... Um, before I noticed she had flatline when she was snoring, I was trying to open her airway on the bed, and then I look over, and that's when I saw it. So I started pulling her off the bed to try to position for CPR, and that's when she starts kind of breathing again. I don't want to say fully regaining conscious, um, but breathing again, and then she starts regaining consciousness. I'm looking at the monitor, I'm like, this rhythm is not perfusible. This is not matching up with what is happening. So I'm still trying to drag her onto the ground, then she fully wakes up. She's not with it though. Um, so while she's kind of out of it still, I'm like, this is my chance, throw on Capno, do a full 12 lead. And she was back into a perfect sinus rhythm. 12 lead was completely unremarkable. Um, and then again, she wakes up and she's like, I'm not going to the hospital. I said, ma'am, your heart was not beating. Like you were, you were, you were essentially dead. Like we're going to the hospital. <laughs> I, have heard, I have heard this story. We wrote the case report together and listening to it, Months later, it still blows me away. There, so I'm going to back up to a few of these things. That's just an amazing case when you think about the tools that you use to try to persuade her. And if y'all have listened to the difficult refusal discussion that we've had, you know, within the MCHD service here and in various CEs and also on the podcast episode, I hate telling people as a physician that you could die. Yeah. I feel like you could die is code word for you know, you're covering your butt and I know patients read into that and I feel like they see that and think that all you care about is you and not them, Mm -hmm. but you ran the differential with her and with her husband perfectly. You said, you know, the things we worry about when you pass out pulmonary embolus PE is high on our list. You told her exactly medically what you were worried about. Why hypoxia, COVID Mm -hmm. syncope, shortness of breath and Admittedly, I would have been too. And you did an excellent job of pulling in bystanders. So pull in the husband, pull in the daughter, pull in grandma or grandpa or, you know, whoever's around that loves the patient and, you know, try to get their support so they can help you because they have a better, you know, they have a relationship. Right. One of the things for us as emergency providers is we roll up and in three minutes have to convince somebody that they have to go to the hospital. And, you know, if any listeners out there think that we're, you know, disparaging the patient here, if the patient had been me and I had passed out and I felt fine, you wouldn't be able to drag me out of my house either. I don't blame this patient, but there was no way for her to know electrically what was going on. But if I feel back to normal, you're not taking me to the hospital. So I don't, I don't blame her, but you were, we were caught in, in the crossroads of, you knew that it was concerning, but she felt fine. And sometimes that's where we end up. You, involve the husband, you try to, you know, develop a rapport and to find common ground with, you know, her husband's a pilot, you know, he knows your family, we see you have family and you told her the real risks and and tried to make it clear to her that you weren't trying to blow things out of proportion, but she had some real warning signs plus COVID on top of all of it. So you saw that asystolic episode. Mm-hmm. Craps pneumonic hit it. It just wasn't the one that you thought it was. Right. You thought it was P, 
Yes. But it was A. It was A. It was A. Arrhythmia until proven otherwise. So you said it yourself. So you had this big asystolic stretch. And if anybody's interested watching or listening, this is in the in the case report. And again, we'll link it. But I also wanted to add, Dr. Patrick, is what at the time she went into asystole, I was trying to kind of better position her airway when she was kind of what I thought again was convulsions and snoring. Um, so I missed, you know, what happened prior to her going to asystole, but she didn't, she, it wasn't like her oxygen was in the eighties for like a good amount of time. But when she did run into asystole, it, it, it did drop to the eighties, but it wasn't like, Oh, she's sitting here, you know, with no oxygen this entire time. It wasn't like she Brady down for like a long period of time. You saw the strip. It was, it was quick asystole. And the bradycardia and the asystole and the hypoxia did all correlate. The bizarre part to me from a physiologic standpoint is that I see folks with SATs in the eighties all day, every day. So do you, do they have 30, 45 second runs of asystole? (laughs) Not that we've ever seen. That was the interesting part of the case and the part that made it reportable to us. That's it's just, it's, it's really amazing to look at. And you know, the crazy part is, is the 12 lead that you obtained after she came to, and for the listeners that are curious, we never got to CPR. She came to quick enough. Uh, we never got to, you know, uh, nothing to cardiovert there. It was right. it's flat as flat could be. But when she came to and we got the 12 lead, our EMS 12 lead looks like it came out of a textbook. Mm-hmm. It is perfect. So if anybody out there is thinking to themselves, oh, this was a, a, a long QT based on medications or, you know, some other visible potential rhythm problem or interval problem on the EKG, it was beautiful if you, you couldn't use the EKG to sell her, it had to be the, the, the three lead and the, and the big long job. I mean, it's not a pause. It's a systole. Right. And she was just like you said, dead. So you finally got the patient reluctantly in the end to go based on your, your easy sell job at that point. Hey, you were dead for like 45 <laughs> seconds, ma'am. You, you need, you need to go. What happened in the ED? So we, we will, Condense down the transport portion. What happened once you arrived? So we get to the hospital, um, and I knew if I was telling this story to myself, I was not going to believe me. So <laughs> I already had the playback of the EKG pulled up on my tablet for the doctor to see because we roll in, and she's exactly how she was initially presenting. Vitals were perfect, and she was wake alert oriented, no, no distress at all. So I was like, hi, we're here with the report I called in. I showed the doctor the playback and she's like, oh my goodness, let's get this patient a room. And whenever she walks over to interview the patient, the patient starts kind of grabbing everything. She starts getting anxious again. I was like, hey, this is exactly what happened last time. It's, it's going to happen again. Sure enough, she had another episode um, in the hallway of the ER that resolved on its own again prior to any CPR or ACLS interventions. And then we get her in the room and then We'll kind of let you talk more about the hospital course. Yeah. And one point I wanted to make that has entered my mind and left it a couple of times as you're discussing for anybody out there who's non-medical listening and even some of the, the medics listening, I know the folks in dispatch know this. When we think about making that go decision for CPR, remember it's not, not breathing, right? It's not breathing normally. And you really describe that well as when you look at the literature of patients who have delayed presentation 
or delayed onset of bystander CPR, the most common reason that we see for that is when folks think it's a seizure. Mm -hmm. You see the abnormal motor movement, and that's just lack of perfusion. And you hear the snoring, the agonal breathing, the guppy breathing, those sort of things. So remember out there that if you have a patient that's not breathing normally, that's not awake, that's an indication to start CPR. And this patient really is the is is sort of the, the poster child for that sort Absolutely. of situation because it'd been very easy. Go get the Versed, and then looking down saying, "Oh no, I don't need Versed. I need compressions." Thankfully, in both situations. This patient was very lucky in that these episodes, while they were way too long to be asystolic, they weren't long enough to need CPR in either uh, situations. Both times she was able to come to and for whatever reason regain normal sinus in both situations without CPR. So she was admitted to the hospital with COVID. The cardiology service was consulted to evaluate the arrhythmia. She was placed on oxygen. She got standard COVID hospital treatment. She got remdesivir and steroids and she got supplemental oxygen and, and she was, uh, you know, all the other electrolytes were monitored, troponin levels, uh, the inflammatory markers that we monitor with COVID, a D-dimer, C-reactive protein, uh, thyroid studies were checked, an echocardiogram was performed. And throughout the hospital stay, Almost all of those, the echocardiogram was normal, the thyroid studies were normal, her kidney function, the electrolytes were all normal. She had no sign of myocardial infarction or wall motion abnormalities. Her troponins were negative. Her inflammatory markers, the D-dimer, the CRP, were all elevated significantly initially. And as she received steroids and remdesivir and all the COVID treatments, all those declined during the hospital stay and she eventually uh, required oxygen therapy up around five to six liters and that was able to be weaned over the five to six day hospital course that she had. She did have a CT scan that you can take a look at in the case report that we published and she had very classic bilateral uh, viral pneumonia, the, just a classic COVID picture that unfortunately I've seen way too many times now in the past 18 months. Thankfully, with the wider distribution of the vaccination and or all the vaccines in our vaccination program, I not I think I've seen one or two COVID positives in the last three weeks. So seeing it much, much less frequently. But she really had a classic COVID hospital stay with this asystolic period on the front end. So the the, de the decision at this point, when the cardiologist made this, not us, because um, I was the EMS medical director, so I wasn't directly involved in her care. You dropped her off, and we discussed this at length in the office, and that was, did she get a pacemaker? And most folks that have a sinus arrhythmia like this and a systolic episode like this, sick sinus syndrome, um, are going to end up getting, you know, electrophysiology consultation, and a pacemaker placement. Well, come to find out there's a large body of emergency medicine, ICU literature, and case reports already out there that show that patients with COVID-19 have wide variations of arrhythmias. 
tachy arrhythmias, brady arrhythmias, but there were no case reports in the EMS literature of this occurring. So that was where we thought this was very novel and worth discussing. So she actually, after oxygen support, after steroids, after remdesivir, once she was admitted to the hospital and she was stabilized, her telemetry monitoring was normal through the entire hospital stay. So the cardiologist's final impression and final thought was that this was COVID-19 related and it was related to her lung disease, to the inflammatory process, to the hypoxia and some combination of those things. And once that resolved, she was back into normal sinus. She did not have any further bradycardic or asystolic episodes in the hospital and was discharged home without event. One of the things that we did look for after we looked at the case closely and when I walked in the office in the morning, our cardiac coordinator, Brad Ward, who you all hear on the podcast often, just nonchalantly handed me a couple printouts and said, take a look at the rhythm strip there. And the top two were normal sinus. And as I flipped over to the third and fourth one, I was like, uh, <laughs> that's flat. <laughs> What's going on? So that was where I got the case presented to me. And it was really a, an interesting process to walk through because we thought about, you know, was there some underlying process that could have helped cause this? And one of the things we did think about was other medications. And she had been diagnosed with COVID about a week before, uh, right. six or seven days before the call out for us. And she was put on a host of outpatient medications, um, some antitussives and some other things, but she was actually put on azithromycin. And azithromycin is on the list of medications that can cause prolonged QT interval. And so there was some thought that maybe that azithromycin could have contributed to her arrhythmia or potentially made her more susceptible. Uh, we decided that that was probably unlikely because on your 12 lead, after this episode, so she had a a systolic event, Megan captured the EKG. The EKG was normal, and we really hadn't done any heroic treatment at that point. We were just trying to get her to the hospital alive. And so my suspect is, is if that azithromycin had caused some bizarre long QT, 500 or greater, we would have seen it there. So right. makes it unlikely. So just a really interesting case, as if we need some bizarre COVID complication to add to the list. We have another one here at MCHD. Thankfully, this question is not as applicable as it was back in February because we're seeing much and much less COVID now thanks to the vaccine. Hopefully, this uh, Delta variant does not turn into a fourth wave or fifth wave mm -hmm. or whatever it is. But in the future, you have a COVID patient and you're going to approach them differently. For sure. I think continuous three lead monitoring, you know, maybe we wouldn't have thrown that on in the past if they were presenting otherwise. Um, I think also I wanted to add that if you haven't had your vaccine yet, if this is another reason to add to the millions of reasons of why you should get your vaccine, she was healthy, young, no history, and this is what happened. Pretty amazing. And amazing to think that, you know, the combination of COVID inflammation pneumonia, and relatively mild hypoxia could lead to asystole. This just did a baffling disease from all angles. When we sort through, you know, thromboembolic events and, you know, cardiac inflammatory processes and long COVID and 
you know, psychiatric complications post-COVID and all these things that we're seeing and we're dealing with, now we've got to consider arrhythmias in the mix. So this is really, really an interesting discussion. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Thanks for taking care of the patient like you did in the field. And, you know, really, even if you're even for COVID-19 out, like most of us are, there's really some good learning points in this case for everyone in regards to how to deal with, you know, a difficult high-risk refusal patient. And in this case, the patient wasn't difficult. She was just being reasonable. She felt fine. Why do I need to go to the hospital? But we saw things objectively that we needed to act on. You talk through the differential. You got the family involved. You stalled. You collect, collected objective information and really did an excellent job. So thanks for taking care of our patients out there every day like you do. In case anyone's wondering, Captain Powell is an absolute super superstar. We're lucky to have her taking care of the patients here in the county. Anything you want to add? No, thank you for having me here. All right, everybody. This was MCHD Case of the Quarter uh, number two. We're, we're liking this series. Uh, Travis Clay discussed the big aortic thrombus. Now we've got COVID-19 asystole. It's going to be hard to top those two, but to the MCHD listeners out there, bring me your cases. We're ready for Case of the Quarter Q3 2021. As always, if you have ideas, questions, concerns, complaints, Email us at the podcast email, podcast at mchd-tx.org. Leave us a like or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate it. We love to see them pile up. It makes us feel good about ourselves. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to everybody again soon. Have a great day. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.